morning, if you have a Bible with you, turn to Exodus chapter 20. Turn in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 20, second book in the Bible, chapter 20. Last week, I began sharing about the value that God places on marriage. The value that God places on marriage. This this, this wonderful thing that, that, as I'll share in a moment, that God created. Now, now uh, there are some of you here this morning who, who are not married. You were married uh, or, uh, or you've not yet been married. Uh, it relates to everyone. What we're sharing here in these few weeks relates to every person. Uh, marriage affects all of us. And last week... We were in the book of Genesis, the first book of the Bible, and in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we saw how God created everything. You can, wherever you go, look around, look up into the sky late at night, and you see the stars and, and the moon and, and the, the celestial bodies. You see everything on this world, and you see everybody. God created it all. And if you notice, and I did not point this out last uh, week, but Almost every time after God created something on those six days of creation week, almost every time after something was created, you will find this statement, and God saw that it was good. He saw that it was good. He would create something, separate light from darkness, and God saw that it was good. He created the land animals. God saw that it was good, created man, and he said, and it was very good. Seven times, in fact, in just one chapter, just in chapter one, the first chapter of the entire Bible, you will find seven times God saying it was very good. But in chapter two, verse 18, we see something that we've not seen before. It says this, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So you have this, and we actually shared this a few months ago in this, this Bible study in Genesis on Wednesday night, but, but we saw here how, how these, this repeated statement, God saw that it was good, and then we get to chapter 2, verse 18, and we see man alone, and God said, this is not good, we need to create a helper for him. It's not that God you know, failed to do it right the first time, and that, that woman is plan B and an improvement over plan A, it's not like that at all. But I believe that is there because God wanted man to understand and appreciate not only the difference in woman, but have a greater appreciation for her. We don't know how long it was between the creation of Adam and the creation of Eve, but I am very confident of this. When God made her, when God created her and brought her to him, he also believed that it was very, very good. And he was glad that he was no longer alone. So God created Eve. God created this first woman and Adam's wife. In fact, that is the word that is used there in chapter 2, that God created and gave to Adam his wife. It's the first reference. That is a marital term. It is the first reference to marriage in the Bible, and it's in the second chapter of the Bible. They were husband and they were wife. 
Now you're going, how, how did that ha- how, what did that look like? And I don't know, it's not recorded. Maybe someday we'll find out really what that, that first marriage ceremony was. I do know this, there was no best man and, and there was no flower girl. There was no wedding cake. There was no one to catch the bouquet and they didn't go on a honeymoon because they were already in paradise. But they were married. Calls her his, his wife. The wording is there for a reason. It is there to show us that God created and God blessed marriage. From the very beginning, we see God creating and blessing this thing called marriage. Again, I stated last week how before there was was any government, before there was any society, before there was a community or a city, before there was a church, God created this foundational, wonderful thing called marriage. And then we saw how throughout the Bible, God celebrates marriage and how Jesus, during his earthly ministry, you will find this repeated times throughout the New Testament, how Jesus, during his earthly ministry, repeatedly described his relationship with his followers. We call that the church, and we don't talk about a building, but his followers, how he described his followers or the relationship that he had with his followers to be like the relationship between a bride and a groom. He likened that again and again to his relationship with his followers is like he was the groom and those followers were his bride. How he protects them, how he cherishes them, how he cares for them, how he honors them. On a side note here, I I remember sometime, I don't remember, it's so long ago, I don't remember who told me, but it really settled into my spirit, and so now I repeat it to you. When we talk badly about someone else who is a follower of Jesus Christ, we call that gossip or slander. When we speak evil against someone else who is a follower of Jesus Christ, we are speaking evil about the bride of Jesus Christ. You know, I'm a pretty easygoing guy. I mean, there's really not much that can offend me. But you start saying bad things about my bride, and we're going to have we're going to have words. Why is it? Because she's my bride. When we speak evil about a part of the body of Christ, then we're talking, we're attacking the bride of Christ, and I believe that he takes that very seriously. But you see this. You see Jesus again and again referring to his followers the people who call on his name, the people who have been cleansed by his blood as his bride, protecting, defending, and honoring. And because God blessed and created marriage from the very beginning, I mentioned last week, and if you have not heard it, you can go online and you can find it, you can download it and listen to it. But we saw last week how because God created it and blessed it, how from the very beginning, Satan hates marriages. He, he, he hates marriages. He hated marriage for what it it represents. We saw how from that time, from the very beginning, from the very beginning when God brought these two people together, not just as man and woman, but as husband and wife, how from the very beginning, up until this time, Satan has attacked marriage. And Satan has mocked or belittled marriage. 
How Satan has attempted to redefine marriage and call something that kind of looks like marriage, marriage, and yet, according to the word, it's something completely different. The enemy continues to this day to attack marriage, mock marriage, and attempt to redefine marriage. Many of you were here last week. And I pray and I trust that even in this last week, you've looked at perhaps if you are married or you're, you're going to be married, I, and even if you've never married and never will marry, I trust that you're looking at marriage just a little bit differently. That it is something that is created and blessed by God, but also that you understand that the enemy, if you are married, he wants to destroy your marriage. Understand that. That when you came together as husband and wife, thank God for it, but Satan hates that and he will do everything he can to destroy it. Some of you, perhaps in this last week, realizing this, now instead of looking at that man or that woman that you're married to, depending on your gender, depending on your husband or your wife, maybe in the past you've looked at that person as a, as the enemy or an opponent. That's the enemy. He wants to destroy your marriage. You looked at that person and said, how could someone so close to me wound me so deeply? But we serve a healer who can heal and who can deliver and who can mend that. The enemy wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to attack it. Perhaps some of you, this last week, you were tempted to listen to or, or repeat some joke about marriage that really mocked it or belittled it. We should have nothing to do with that. Maybe you're looking at that a little bit differently, or maybe even from last week, looking at what the Bible calls marriage, and you're saying, yeah, I used to think this was marriage, but it's really not. It's something completely different. In Exodus chapter 20, you have that before you. Exodus chapter 20 is the chapter of the Bible that, con- that contains or that introduces the Ten Commandments. It was given through Moses to the people of God shortly after they were delivered from slavery, hundreds of years of slavery, in Egypt. The Ten Commands were given by God to his people not to frustrate them and not to restrict them, but to make life better and fuller. In fact, I'm going to go so far as to say this. It's not limited just to the the Ten Commandments. Do you know that everything in God's Word is there not to frustrate you, not to limit you, not to restrict you, but to set you free and to give you a better life? We look so often. I mean, that's, that's been one of the really effective lies of the enemy that, 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 that God puts these things on, on us to, to, to make it painful or make it difficult. And following God's laws is not always easy, but I'll tell you what, it gives us a better life. You ignore God's plan and start living your own, and I promise you, you're going to have a miserable life. And this was given, these Ten Commands were given to make life better and life fuller. The first four commands... Of the Ten Commandments, the first four commands speak directly to our relationship with God. I shared this a few weeks ago when we were looking at our, at our vision statement. And it come, the first two points of that come from this. The first four commands speak directly to our relationship with God. The last six commands speak of our relationship with other people. So you understand, there are ten commands. The first four have to do with our relationship that is vertical, And the last six have to do with our 
horizontal relationship, our relationship with other people. These comprise the Ten Commandments. And the first command, the first command that speaks to our relationship with other people refers to marriage. Now, you may have never thought about it this way, but it's the fifth command in verse 12, and it reads this way. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's brief. Let me read it again. Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Now, some of you have been familiar with this for a very long time, and maybe you heard it repeated to you when you were a kid. My, I remember my father quoting this a couple of times, and he would look at, at, at myself or my brother, probably more my brother, he, he would look at my brother and say, listen, it says right there that if you don't honor me, then you're not going to live very long, so you better, you better listen to me. And, 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 you know, my dad, he, he made this one statement also. He, he, I think he borrowed it from Bill Cosby, but he said this, he said this to my brother and I. He says, I, get, I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. You heard that one? He, he said that to us once. Put the fear into us. We, and and, and that's, that's, that's appropriate. This is what this is speaking of. It's talking about honoring father and mother. There's no question about that. So it is certainly that, but it's also speaking about marriage. It is speaking about marriage. They understood there in this time, these people who are getting this law for the first time, and in this Jewish tradition that that really was the people of God for another many hundreds of years before Jesus came and, and opened it up to everyone, they understood that father and mother were first husband and wife. That this honor does not simply go to the father and mother, but before they were a father and a mother, they were a husband and a wife. They understood that this family relationship was central to their society, and it must be honored. From the very beginning of this journey through the wilderness that would eventually lead into the promised land that is referenced in this verse... Before all of those promises came true, God wanted to make it clear to his people that this father-mother relationship, that this husband and wife relationship is central to your society. Take it seriously, God was saying through this command, and honor it. In fact, it's not only this command, but just a few verses later, in verse 14, it says, do not commit adultery. Again, marriage is not spoken of, but it's strongly implied. It means that with when you are married, you are faithful to that person. That, that, That you are faithful. If you're a man and you're married, you're faithful to your wife. If you're a woman and you're married, you're faithful to your husband. And that this wonderful gift of God called sex is to be is to be held very closely and tightly only with that person. God says, don't commit adultery. Don't be sleeping around. This is for your husband or for your wife. A few verses down, further than that, in verse 17, one of the things that we are told, specifically told not to covet or not to want or not to long for is, quote, your neighbor's wife. Again, there's no mention of marriage, but it's strongly there. Your father and mother, who were first a husband and a wife, don't commit adultery. Keep it close within this family, within this marriage unit. 
And don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't long for something that isn't yours, that is actually someone else's. A person who is held closely by someone else. We are clearly instructed to honor three of the Ten Commandments clearly instruct us to honor that marriage and that parent relationship. This family unit that God created at the very beginning. You see, this tells us that we receive God's promises and we enjoy them for a long time when we honor God, that's the first four commands, and when we honor God-ordained relationships. Again, we receive God's promises. Now listen, when, when this, this was speaking about the promised land for them, and when I talk about God's promises today, I'm not talking about some real estate in Israel. I've been to Israel, I'd love to go back someday to Israel, but I have no desire to own real estate. That's not talking about, but the promises that God has for us throughout the word, this is telling us that we receive God's promises and we enjoy them for a very long time when we honor God and when we honor God-ordained relationships. We need to take these things called, these things that God puts together, we need to take them very, very seriously. And just as in that time, if they ignored these instructions, if they said the father and mother, the parent and child relationship is immaterial, if they didn't honor that, if they didn't honor what preceded it, the husband and wife relationship, then it was going to negatively affect society. That if they said, you know, it's all right to sleep around and and it's all right to sleep with someone else's wife or someone else's husband, You're going to rip that society apart. They wouldn't make it 40 years through the promised land. They wouldn't make it four months through the wilderness. They'd destroy each other. God put it here not to restrict them, but to protect them. God had a purpose in it all. See, this this means here, this, this 12th verse of Exodus chapter 20 tells us that we can bless the world, that we can experience the promises of God, that that we can can affect the world around us through our marriage. We can affect the world through the family that God gives us. We can affect the world through our examples of commitment and selflessness. When we commit to each other and say, You alone are for me in marriage in this thing called holy matrimony. That you alone are for me and regardless of how long we've been married or how challenging it can become at times, we came into this together and we're leaving together and we're going to honor this relationship. We change the world. We can bless the world through our marriage. This morning I... I want to give you two examples of this, one that is very bad and one that is very good. I want to give you just two quick examples of how our marriage or how we dishonor marriage can make such a negative difference in how honoring marriage, these godly relationships can make such a difference in our world. It made international news just about two years ago, I think, is when I read the article. 
a wealthy businessman from Hong Kong who has three adult children who did a rather unusual thing. One of his children, one of his three children, a daughter, the article stated, is in a homosexual relationship with another woman. In 2012, this businessman, who, by the way, is a multi-billionaire, took out ads in various media platforms, and he offered, get this, $65 million to any man who could convince his daughter to leave her lesbian relationship and marry him. You heard that right. It didn't matter who the guy was, what he did, where he was from, but any man who would convince his daughter to leave that relationship and marry him, he would give $65 million. There were no takers. By 2014, I'm not making it as, you can, you, can, you can look at it later. Receiving no takers by 2014, just two years later, this wealthy man doubled the amount to $130 million. You go, well, I'm still not really seeing the, the connection here. Well, there's more to the story. The article went on to say that this father has himself never been married. He's never married. Now, no one ever paid him or threatened to take money away from him because of marriage, but he's never been married. His three children are all by different mothers, and he proclaims this himself. He claims to have slept with more than 10,000 different women in his lifetime. I don't even know how that's possible. This is a man who dishonors marriage. This is someone who, who, who won't himself marry, but offers complete strangers millions of, do- of dollars to marry his daughter. And he dishonors women. He's had sex with multiple thousands of women when God created sex for husbands and wives, and you may think, well, you know, that's, that's Hong Kong, it's a different culture. Listen, this, this, this book, this book is for all cultures. This is for anybody, anywhere, at any time. This book, long, long before there was a place called Hong Kong, long before there was a place called South Dakota or North Dakota or the United States, God established this before there were any governments, before there were any societies. He said, this is what marriage is. He promised to bless us if we honor it. And if we dishonor it, tragedy, separation, brokenness, turmoil will result. You see, one wonders... If that man's daughter's view of sexuality and marriage is confused in part because of her father's dishonor of marriage and his dishonor of women. 
I don't know her story, but I suspect there is a correlation between the way that he treats marriage and the way that he treats people to the choices that she has made. Understand, I'm not, I'm not condoning her choices. I am suggesting that her choices were influenced by her father's choices. Now, that's a terrible example. That's, a, that's, a bad, that's an example of when it goes wrong. It's an, it's an extreme example of, of what happens when, when, when people choose to dishonor something that God says is honorable. But I wonder, moving away from that extreme example, I wonder how many other people have disregarded or wanted nothing to do with marriage or ignored marriage or, said, or, or even have said it, it, it does not belong to anyone today. I wonder how many, people have, how many people have disregarded or wanted nothing to do with it because a father or a mother failed to show their children honor and devotion and a commitment to marriage to one person for life. You see, I happen to believe that if we, through our lives, say we will honor this godly, this God-ordained relationship, if we will honor this, then it will affect not only that other person, but it will affect the generations that follow us. There's a connection. There's a connection. Well, I just gave you a really, just a really sad example of what happens when it goes wrong. But I want to give you a an amazing example of what happens when it goes right. And it's one that you're very, very familiar with, but we often limit it only to a part of the year. The part of their story is in Matthew chapter 1. Well, their names, of course, were Mary and Joseph. There were two people who were engaged to be married. God had directed them to come together as husband and wife. <laughs> we don't know the rest of that story, how it all began. But it must have been amazing. God had directed them to come together in marriage. And he chose them. God chose them. It wasn't random. It wasn't by chance. God chose them to be the father and the mother entrusted with the holy and the heavy responsibility to care for and raise the very Son of God, right? No pressure. We, we read just a few months ago, just prior to Christmas, about the angel appearing to Mary and telling her what is going to happen, how God is going to use her, how the Holy Spirit is going to come upon her and she's going to conceive a child and that child is going to be the Messiah, I can't imagine what the, 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 the weight of responsibility that she must have felt in that moment and then the trust that she demonstrated when she said, Lord, let it be. He chose them. They must have been amazing people. And every time, every time that I read about them, in, particularly in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke, every time I read about Mary and Joseph, I want to know more. Someday I'm going to meet them face to face when we all get to heaven. They're already there when I get to heaven. I'm going to meet them and I'm going to find out the rest of the story. But we can be sure of this. Jesus grew up in a home where a husband and a wife and a father and a mother were honored. 
Jesus grew up. It was not by chance. It, it wasn't that God you know, could, just, could have just used anyone. He grew up in a home where husband and wife and father and mother were held in a place of honor. They were committed to each other. They helped each other. They were the only ones in, in, in raising this child. They, they were the only ones who, who fully understood as much as they could the, the weight of this responsibility. In fact, I believe that honor and commitment were so much and devotion were so important that years later, with Joseph long since de- deceased, the Bible tells us that Jesus arranged from the cross, as he's hanging on the cross, Jesus arranged for the care of his mother for the rest of her life. Remember that? He's hanging on the cross. He looks down at John, one of the disciples, probably the disciple he was closest to, and he said, John, from this day forward, I paraphrase, he said, John, from this day forward, this, you, you treat her like your mother? And he said to his mother, this is your son. He's, he's like a son to you. I believe, I believe for the rest of her life, John cared for her. Why? Because Jesus grew up in a home. Oh, he's the son of God. Yes, he was unique. Absolutely. But Jesus grew up in a home where devotion and commitment and care were paramount. He grew up in a home where marriage was honored and where the parent and child relationship was honored. Honor. Now, now again, no one else will ever do what Joseph and Mary did, but God still uses husbands and wives as fathers and mothers to raise boys and girls to be people of God. I'm going to say it again. God still uses husbands and wives as fathers and mothers to raise boys and girls to be people of God. He did it a long time ago, and he's still doing it today. Now, some here this morning, I, 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 I know some of your stories, and I don't know half of your story. But some here this morning may look back and think, I did not have a good example. I did not have a good example of honor and devotion and commitment in marriage. Some of you are certainly looking back, and, and you're saying, I didn't have a good example. I don't, know, I don't know what it was like to grow up in that kind of an environment. I grew up in a home where there was... Where you may be thinking, I grew up in a home where there was dishonor, where there was disrespect, where, where there was, there was a, a wretched example. Listen, we cannot change one thing about the generations that came before us, but we can deeply influence the generations that follow us. I'm not, I'm not discounting what happened before. I'm simply saying now it's your turn and you're going to give a a greater example to the generations that follow you than perhaps preceded you. Fellow followers of Jesus Christ, in this time when marriage seems to be this, this great option with so many, where it becomes a last resort to others, where it becomes something that is ridiculed and mocked, when it is something that is repeatedly attacked. In this day and age, in our time, 2020, as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to celebrate marriage. We need to point to it and say it's a wonderful thing. It's a life-giving thing. It is a world-changing thing. We need to celebrate marriage. Please understand, by celebrating, man, I don't mean spending a fortune on marriage. 
on weddings. I don't mean spending a fortune on weddings. Did you know, uh, I, I found this, Just I did a lot of research on this, but, um, uh, not on this particular part, but in my research I found this, uh, that in South Dakota, do you know what the average cost of a wedding is in South Dakota? Not including the, the engagement rings and not including the honeymoon, just the ceremony, right? Just that 30, 40, 50, 60 minute ceremony. It, the average cost, and, and we're a little bit more conservative here, it costs uh, uh, over $14,000 is the average wedding cost. 14000 Now some of you are thinking, man, I'm glad I'm from North Dakota. <laughs> in North Dakota, it's over 20000 They're rich up in North Dakota. Those people are rich. Over 20000 In Florida, it's over $50,000 spent on the average wedding. When I say let's celebrate, when I say let's celebrate marriage, when I say let's celebrate people coming together, I'm not talking about hawking the house for, for a ceremony. Do you know, do you know, uh, I feel strongly about this because I officiated a lot of weddings, and I've been at some really nice ones, I've been at some very simple ones, and you know, at the bottom line is, it's just two people coming together in holy matrimony, and that's what it's all about. Do you know that people will, will just, they aren't going to care, they aren't going to care if you serve peanuts and those little cheap sugary mints and that's all you give them. Now, if you have a wedding and you invite me and you're serving steak, I'm going to eat the steak, all right? I'm going to eat the steak. But, you know, it's, it, when I say celebrate, we need to send this, a copy of this message to Kristen, all right, our daughter, right? Because all the parents here are going, preach it. You know, pre, the parents of daughters, you're going, preach it, that's not an announcement. My daughter's not engaged, but she may be in 10 or 20 years. So, you know, I mean, that just may happen. It's not a, when I talk about celebrate, I'm not talking about the cost of the wedding. I'm talking about two people loving each other and loving Jesus and coming together as husband and wife who are going to change the world around them for the rest of their lives. That's what I'm talking about. We need to celebrate that. It's a good thing. It's a wonderful thing. Ceremonies that last 50 minutes are nice, but life-giving and world-changing marriages that last 50 years are far better. The 50 minutes are nice. The 50 years will change countless lives. In a wedding ceremony, a bride and a groom exchange vows, vows that go something like this. Before God and these witnesses, I take you as my husband. Or the husband says, I take you as my wife. They say to each other, we will live together after God's ordinance in this holy estate of matrimony. They say to each other, looking deeply into each other's eyes, holding each other's hands, I know I've stood before them, had the honor of doing that, and they say things like this. I will love you, comfort you, honor you, and keep you, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health. They say, to each other, I will forsake all others and keep myself only for you as long as we both shall live. 
And they finish that with, this is my solemn vow. I have heard people this close, standing right here. I have heard people, or sitting and observing it, I have heard people make those statements in a ceremony, and they're wonderful. But more importantly, I have seen people live out those covenant vows in the years that followed. I've seen some of you do that. Again, I know some of your stories, but I don't know half of your story. But I've seen you love that person for better or for worse, for richer or for poor, in sickness and in health, until you are parted by death. I've seen you do it. God bless you. I celebrate marriage. I celebrate this God-given covenant between a husband and a wife. It's precious. It's holy. It's God-ordained. And it changes the world. This morning, we're going to close in a way different from any way that I've ever closed. A service. I've never done this before, but we're going to do it today. In just a moment, I'm going to have, and I shared this last week, and I kind of prepped you and I told you, be ready. Some of you have, in fact, even cleared your work schedules to be here and gone through some difficulty to be here today. In just a moment, I'm going to invite husbands and wives to come together, stand next to each other, and I'm going to ask God's blessing upon you. So without any further explanation, if you are here today, and I know that some cannot be, we're going to pray for you as well. Some of you, your spouse could not be here. This blessing extends to you, but if you are here today with your husband or your wife, I'd like you to come down. Stand up right now. Go ahead and stand up right now across the sanctuary. Everyone, I want you to stand up, and I want you to begin assembling all the way across here. Joni's going to join me here on the platform. Go ahead and stand right next up close. Look around. Isn't this great? I love this. Husbands and wives. Now, I want you to face me. I want you to face me for a little bit. I'll, I'll give you some dirt, but go ahead and just fan right across, pack in two, three, four deep if necessary. I love it. As you're coming, I'll give you time. I want you to put your stand right next to him. Now here, listen to me. Yeah, people are still coming from the balcony. We'll, we'll wait a moment. This is a very precious time. This is, going to, this is going to be cool. Following this, there will be peanuts and cheap mints in the room. I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. You want steak? Mike wants steak. 
I want you to come down. Joni, would you stand on this side of me? This is my preaching hand, and I need this free, so I need you. <laughs> Husbands, I want you to put your arm around your wife like this. Hold her in close. We'll wait just a moment. At some point in the past, you stood before another gathering of people. Maybe it was in this place. I look across here and there are a number of you that I married, had the honor of marrying years past. At some point in the past, you stood before another gathering of people in this place or in a country church. Maybe it was an ornate cathedral. It may have been in a courtroom. It may have been under a blue sky. Regardless of where it was, you remember that day well, don't you? It was pretty neat. <laughs> it was memorable because it was on that day that you became a husband and a wife. Also on that day, though it may vary from person to person, you made vows to each other. On behalf of your family, and on behalf of the world around you who have been influenced by your lives together, I want to thank you for holding to those vows since you first made them. It's not always been easy, but you've held to those vows. You have loved each other. You have walked with each other. You have forgiven each other. You have laughed and you have cried with each other. You have done this for better or for worse in rich times and in poor times. You've held on to each other and cared for each other in sickness and in times of health. Again, I want to thank you. I want to thank you for holding to those vows in some cases made months ago, in some many decades ago. So today, as your pastor, I bless you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. May he continue to use you and to use your marriage for his glory. May other people around you and some who are far off, may they look at you and declare, that is what a Christian marriage looks like. May your children and your grandchildren and even generations to come consider themselves blessed to be a part of your family. And may the world around you be better because you came together in holy matrimony. And in the months 
And in the years or even in the decades ahead, may you in greater ways treasure and cherish and commit yourself to one another until you are parted by death. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Lord, again, I ask your blessing upon these people. The enemy has tried to destroy them, but you are greater. You've brought them through so much. Take them through more. If they have family, Lord, may their family be blessed through them and because of them. May the world around them be different. May our communities be different. May lives be redirected to you because they made vows to each other. Bless them, I pray, in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. One more thing. What God has joined together, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Amen. I'd like everyone to stand, please. And I want to thank you each for being here. Again, I told you this was a, a different kind of closing but I want to close now in prayer. I'm tempted to say you may now kiss your bride. You can give him a hug. You can give him a hug. You can kiss him later, right? No, no PDA here. But, but uh, 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 you kiss him later, but, but cherish them, all right? Let me pray over you one more time. Jesus, I thank you for these precious people, all who are here. Lord, we are all affected by marriage. We've all been influenced by it. And we're so grateful that you created this wonderful thing called marriage. Again, I ask your blessing and your favor upon us. There are some here, Lord, who are going to be married in the coming years. And I pray even that some things that they heard today or last week that you will use and that you will bless them, Lord. Like Mary and Joseph who were betrothed, who were engaged to be married, you had plans for them in that relationship. I ask, Lord, that you will prepare so many others here in this room. We thank you, Lord. We love you. I ask your blessing and your favor upon every person here today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in the presence and in the power of the Lord Jesus Christ.